This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. God is giving this church favor in such a tremendous way that even men who were, who were a part of wealth and were a part of influence, they're coming to know Christ and they're becoming a part of the leadership of this church and this would even be used by the sovereignty of God to help push forward the gospel. Welcome to Grace and Truth Radio. I'm Barbara Hannum. Thank you so much for joining us today. Currently, Pastor Dan McGee is leading us through the book of Acts in a series titled The Gospel Unleashed. Today we're listening to the second part of a message, The Marks of a Spiritually Vibrant Church. In Acts 13, God gives a wonderful example of what a healthy church looks like as the believers in Antioch devoted themselves to worshiping the Lord, fasting and prayer, God used their faithfulness to advance the gospel. So let's go back now to Acts chapter 13. So you've got here in operation, though, at this point, you've got in the early church, this new church in Antioch, you've got prophets and teachers. Verse 1, let's look at these names for a moment, okay? There's five listed here. You see them? Barnabas. Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and then, of course, Saul, who we know will later be called Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, we don't know a lot about three of these men. Of course, we know about Barnabas, don't we? We know about him. We've learned a lot about Barnabas. He was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. His birth name was actually, do you remember this? It was actually Joseph. But the apostles were the ones who gave him the name Barnabas. Remember that? Why? Because they saw in him that he was such an encourager. And that's what the name Barnabas literally means. Son of encouragement. And he was an encourager. Do you remember what happened back in Acts chapter 9? Remember that? Remember when, when Saul was converted, God literally knocked him off his horse. Remember that? Blinded him and cried out to him and said, Why are you persecuting me, Saul? And so Saul is converted, he gives his life to Jesus Christ, and now uh, he comes back to the brothers and sisters, and how do the brothers and sisters respond to him? How do they respond? Talk to me. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you have been a little nervous about this guy who was killing Christians, dragging Christians out of their homes, and now all of a sudden he claims to be converted? They had a little bit of a difficult time with that, didn't they? Go to chapter 9 with me. Flip back there just for a moment. Let's be reminded of it. Look at verse 27 of chapter 9 in the book of Acts. Actually, we'll pick it up at verse 26 in chapter 9. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. That's, That's Saul. Okay? You see that? He attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But who is it in verse 27? Yeah. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how uh, at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So there he is, the son of encouragement, Barnabas. And he's the one who is standing up and saying, no, guys, listen, he's converted. He's a changed man. He's preaching the gospel now. He's on our side. Don't you see that encouraging heart of Barnabas in that? I love that. Of course, in chapter 11, we already read this this morning, so we don't need to go back there, but he was the one who was sent by the Jerusalem church as an envoy to Antioch, remember? The Jerusalem church and the apostles there hear about what's happening up in this Gentile city called Antioch, and so they're like, we've heard the gospel is going forward and that people are being saved. We've even heard that there's a church gathering there. And so who do they send up to Antioch to see whether or not this is true? They send the envoy, Barnabas. Why? Because he had the right temperament for this. He was the guy who would go and he would look at it honestly and he would have a a good spirit of encouragement towards them and that's exactly what he did. And then, of course, we saw that he personally brought Saul to the church at Antioch to help him where they spent the next year or so together teaching and instructing the believers uh, in Antioch. So that's Barnabas. But let's look at the other three names. You've also got Simeon, Lucius, and Manian. Now, less is known about these men. In fact, very little is known. All right. It is interesting to me, though, notice there that it says uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. And it is believed by most Bible commentators that this was a man who was from Africa. He was a black man. Okay? And also, interestingly as well, Lucius of Cyrene. All right? Cyrene is located in modern-day Africa. And so it is believed that, that both of these men were Africans. So what does that tell you about the church in Antioch? It was diverse. It was a diverse body of believers. These, and these were men who were in the leadership of the church. Isn't that great? So you've got Barnabas. You have these two men that most Bible scholars believe were black men. See? And so I love that because what that says, and it's another reason why I believe this church was such a, a powerful church and used in a tremendous way by the Lord. You've got a, a mixed group of believers here who are setting aside their ethnic differences and they're saying, you know what, we are one in Christ. I love that, don't you? Uh, Median was, notice the third name on the list, he was brought brought up, it says here, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That, by the way, Herod the Tetrarch is the Herod of the Gospels. So when Jesus stood before Herod, that's that's who uh, Median was brought up with. So what this means is that he grew up in the household of Herod. He was a man who knew what wealth and prominence was all about. That's why it's mentioned here. Okay, so, so he also, though, is a man who was converted by the gospel, and he's now a leader in this church in Antioch. Isn't that amazing? So even God is, God is giving this church favor in such a tremendous way that even men who were, who were a part of wealth and were a part of influence, they're coming to know Christ and they're becoming a part of the leadership of this church and this would even be used by the sovereignty of God to help push forward the gospel. Love that. Love what we see God doing here in this church and the men who are leading it. I love the integration of the early church even in the leadership. Not segregation, but integration of races. Amen, church? Amen? It's a beautiful thing. It really is. So this leadership of this church was submitted to the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to see here this morning, secondly, why don't you write this down, okay? 
This church was vibrant. This church was powerful. This church was making a great difference for the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel, not only because the leadership was submitted to the Holy Spirit, but secondly, the leadership of the church was committed to spiritual duties. Committed to spiritual duties. Now that's important because first and foremost, what you and I need to realize is that the work of the elders and the pastors of the church is first and foremost a spiritual work. Do you understand that, church? The work of the elders is a spiritual work. That's why it's important that the elders of the church be spiritual men. Amen? Amen? Dr. John MacArthur said this, quote, he said, the responsibility of spiritual shepherds is spiritual ministry. And I want to tell you that it is very easy for the leaders of the church, very easy, very tempting for the leaders of the church to get caught up doing things that are less important. Less important. I'm not saying unimportant. I'm saying less important, right? So many times the things that I wrestle with as a pastor and I know our elders wrestle with is this, is giving our time and our energy and our focus to the things that are best. We see, we can all always get involved in doing things that are good, but we want to be giving our heart and our energy and our focus, our time and attention to the things that are best for you, for the church. Why? Because if we're doing that, that benefits the church, that benefits the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. And I see this in the, life, the lives of these men in the early church. In fact, look with me, notice what it says there in verse 2. Okay? It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So what, what are the leaders of the early church here in Antioch? What are they doing? They are doing spiritual work, aren't they, church? They are fasting. They are worshiping the Lord. They are praying. Well, of course, I think they are patterning themselves after, after the example set by the apostles back in Acts chapter 6. In fact, let's go back there for just a moment, okay? I'm flipping back a lot here because it's good for us to be reminded of some of the things that we've already learned. Amen? Sometimes the, good, the things that we need are the things that we've forgotten. It isn't that you've not heard it before, it's that you've forgotten it. Unless you just have a memory like an elephant, which I don't think there's too many of us like that. Chapter 6, look at verse 4. Okay, remember this? Remember? Widows in the early church, some were getting bread, some were not. This caused an uproar, didn't it? Remember this in the church in Jerusalem? And so what do the apostles say? What do they say to do? Well, notice verse 3, it says of, of chapter 6, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, answer me this question. Was it an important and good work for these widows to receive bread? Amen? Yes. Yes, it was. It was an important and good work. But, but, is it the work that the apostles themselves should have been doing at this time in the early church? Should they 
have been doing it themselves? No. No, because remember, the challenge is giving yourselves to the best things. Leaders struggle with this in the church, giving themselves to the best things. And that sometimes means even avoiding good things. See, notice, they said, they said, verse 3, look at it, brothers, the apostles are speaking here, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they recognize the need for the task to be done. But notice why they say this. Why, how, what's the explanation they give? Is it because that it's beneath them? Do they feel this job is beneath them? No, not at all. But notice, they say, we have an important duty that is given to us directly from the Lord. Look at verse 4. It says, but we will what? Devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So obviously, as we go back to chapter 13, let's flip back there. This is the pattern that's followed by the believers and the leaders in the church at Antioch. Okay, they, uh, they, they, they are praying They are giving themselves to worshiping the Lord in verse 2, fasting and prayer. They set a good example for us. Now I want to talk to you for just a moment about the importance of prayer and fasting. I love this. Uh, It was said by a Scottish evangelical preacher named Thomas Chalmers. He lived in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and I thought this was a phenomenal quote. I want to give it to you. Listen to this. He said about prayer this. Prayer does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is the greater work for God. I have to tell you, that really struck me when I read that this week. In so many ways, does that not just alter your perspective on what prayer is all about? So many times we think about prayer in terms of, okay, it's usually like this. Lord, I have a real need in my life. Or, God, I have a task to accomplish. But at the end of it all, I think we need to come to that time of prayer as a church body, looking at prayer from the perspective that Chalmers offers. That, it, that yes, it is about God working and helping us to accomplish what he's called us to do, but seeing prayer as vital in and of itself because of the work that it does in our own lives. You know what I'm saying? Like the way it changes you and me. And so the Bible says there, do you see it? In verse 3, again, then after fasting and prayer. Of course, fasting unfortunately, is something that is not practiced by very many Christians today. It's just not, it seems. And we have done some church-wide fasts in the past here, and I actually believe that it's something that we need to do again here in the future. We did that years ago. We actually encouraged anyone who wanted to participate, and we we called a church-wide fast. And we just said, if you want to do this, you don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to. And and we fasted and prayed together, and it was it was really a wonderful thing. We we actually after a week of fasting and prayer as a church, we we uh, scheduled a time where we broke the fast together as a congregation by coming together and basically having a big cookout. So, you know, it was great because after a couple of days of fasting, we really, you know, and the stomach's starting to really, you know, 
Yeah, howl. But, but maybe that's something we'll do again in the future as well. Those were some sweet times for us. But here's what fasting, you say, Pastor Nate, I'm not even sure what you're doing. What are you talking about fasting? Well, here's what, that, here's what it is. It's denying myself food for a time in order that in a spiritual frame of mind and having given over myself over to spiritual things, I might seek God's direction, guidance, and leading in a particular opportunity or concern that I have. And so that's what's happening here. Go back. Notice in verse 2, you see it? It says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, as they're worshiping the Lord, they're praying. Verse 3 says that. They're praying and they are fasting. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up and speaks to them. And he says clearly, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And soon, we'll see this in the weeks to come, actually next week, they are going to get sent out from this church. They're going to get sent out. Why? To take the gospel even to the further reaches. But that's when the Spirit of God speaks to them as they're worshiping and they're fasting and they're praying. The Bible often connects fasting with times of intense prayer. Would you uh, just take a moment? Let's go back to the Old Testament. I want to show you two examples, okay? Two godly men in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Nehemiah for a moment. Would you do that? Nehemiah. If you find a little book called Ezra, you're right there. It's right after Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So it's before Psalms. So if you're at Psalms, it's still in front. But I want to show you that this great man of God, Nehemiah, and how fasting was used in his, his life in a tremendous way. Of course, the story of Nehemiah is that this man was brokenhearted about the walls of Jerusalem being down for so long. And he wanted to see Jerusalem restored to its former glory. And he wanted to see God's presence there once again. And so, notice what he does in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to begin there. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Shelev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with a certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province, province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words... I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, we don't have time this morning, but I'm telling you, that prayer that he prays there from verse 5 on, it is unbelievable. Amen. His heart is broken in what he hears from these men. And so he gets down on his face before the Lord, and the Bible says for days he fasts and he prays. You see, fasting has been a part of people of God for years, for centuries, for millennia. One more example in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9. Of course, Daniel is a captive in the land of Babylon, and he's been used of the Lord in tremendous ways, and he's given visions of the future. In fact, the book of Daniel is intricately connected with the book of Revelation in terms of understanding prophecy. And Daniel is given this, this revelation from the Lord and notice what it says in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 9. I'm sorry, did I already tell you chapter 9? 
Okay, great. Verse 2, it says, In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to the, to the Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Now here it is. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And Daniel here gives another just, oh my. As I was reading through this prayer all the way from verse 4 down to the end of verse 19, this just incredible prayer. I would urge you, uh, even today, before the day is over, go and read this prayer. And as you read it, listen, as you read it, think about the United States of America as you read this prayer. Think about the plea, how Daniel prays, And then you think about yourself as a believer and your prayer for our nation to turn back to God because that's in essence what uh, Daniel does here in this prayer for his people, the people, the children of Israel. Okay? Let's go back now to Acts chapter 13. Actually, uh, Matthew. Let's do that, okay? Matthew together. Chapter 6. That's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, because I do need to give this to you as a word of caution regarding the matter of fasting, okay? That's, that's because the Lord gives us a word of caution in Matthew chapter 6, and I think it's good for us to be reminded of the Lord's words in this matter of fasting. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord here is giving instructions regarding uh, fasting, and he's basically saying, don't be like the Pharisees when they fast, Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6. The Lord says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So look at me. Of course, what's happening here? The Pharisees, they fast, and because for them, this is a way to express their spiritual superiority to everybody else. Right? Like, look at me, how spiritual I am. I'm fasting. So what would they do? They would stand on the street corners and the Bible says they would disfigure their faces. And people would be like, why are you looking like that? And then they could say, I'm fasting. Right? As a way of, of showing that they're really spiritual. Jesus says, don't be like that. Because if you do that, what does Jesus say at the end of verse 16? Truly I say to you, they have their reward. So guess what? What they were looking for, the applause of men walking away thinking how spiritual he is, that's the reward they sought, that's the reward they're going to get. That's it. That's it. You're done. No more reward on that. No more. Done. Well, look at verse 17. But you be different, he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen? So it's really first and foremost, fasting is about, again, let me remind you, it is about denying yourself food for a time. In order that in a spiritual frame of mind and having given over to spiritual things, I seek God's direction, guidance, and leading in a particular opportunity or concern. In other words, the hunger pains 
that you will experience are designed at that moment to be reminders to seek God in prayer. You see, normally the hunger pain reminds you to go to the fridge. But now the hunger pain becomes a reminder to seek God. See, that's how fasting is to be used. There's nothing, I don't think, in and of the fasting itself. It's about reminding you to seek the Lord and denying yourself and putting yourself in that frame of mind that you can do that, okay? So this is very practical. So that's the word of caution. Let's go back to Acts 13 as we wrap up the message here this morning. Let me finish it up, okay? So it says there in verse 3 of Acts 13, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And next week we're going to see that as Paul and Barnabas, as they take off and they'll have John Mark with them as well, uh, they are going to take the gospel to the farther reaches of the world at that time. Thanks for joining us today on Grace and Truth Radio. I'm so glad that you've been with us. If you're looking for a church, I'd like to invite you to join us. Harvest is a growing, dynamic, multicultural church that welcomes people from all backgrounds, all cultures, and all walks of life. We are passionate Christ followers, and if that resonates with you, come check us out. You can get a copy of this series of messages if you go to our website, graceandtruthradio.com. Or you can call us at one 64 truth And of course, Grace and Truth Radio is sponsored by Harvest Bible Church and listeners like you. Check out our website at harvestdetroitwest.org. I hope you'll come to visit us this Sunday at one of our three service times, 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. Harvest is located on Newburgh Road, just north of Ford Road. We hope to see you there. We want-